I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Real wolves are social creatures. They need and crave a group to belong to in order to survive and thrive. The same is true for your Minnesota Timberwolves. Now join host Henry Lake as he gets an inside look with another prominent member of the club. This is Life in the Pack. Welcome to Episode 3 of the Life in the Pack podcast. I'm your host, Henry Lake. In the first two episodes of the podcast, we chatted with head coach Chris Finch and former Timberwolves player Latrell Sprewell. Today, we chat with a difference maker who impacts the team both on and off the court with his business mind and passion to build the Minnesota Timberwolves into an NBA championship team. Mark Laurie, the head of the new ownership group with the Minnesota Timberwolves, joins us today on Life in the Pack. Thanks for joining us today, Mark. Oh, great to be here, Henry. Hey, I'm, I'm sure that so many Wolves fans are so curious about you and your background. So let's start with taking us all the way back. You're born in Staten Island, correct? That's correct, yep. Okay, uh, in New York, the oldest of three kids. Mm-hmm. How would you describe your early childhood in New York? Yeah, I mean, grew up, my parents had me when they were 20 and 19. So in New York, uh, didn't have any any money growing up. Watched my dad. He wasn't around much. He worked 100 hours a week doing, you know, entrepreneurial things, you know, everything from selling vacuum cleaners door to door to, you know, um, you know, starting a consulting business and, and trying just basically trying his hand in lots of different things. Mm-hmm. He wasn't around much. And, um, you know, we didn't, didn't grow up with, with any, any real means. And, uh, you know, was big into sports growing up. Um, you know, was uh, in Staten Island, was a very um, you know, homogeneous, predominantly like a sort of a Catholic uh, Italian neighborhood. And like, that's kind of where I grew up. And then when I was uh, 11 years old, moved to New Jersey and was thrown into a, a school that was incredibly diverse, a very big change from where, where I, had, I had been. And I think that school helped shape a lot of who I am today. Um, Is it true that you got started going back to the seventh grade being interested in stocks? That is, that is correct. You know, I, I'd always, um, I wasn't a good, good student growing up. I, uh, in, in this school, the, the new school I said in New Jersey, I had to convince my parents that, uh, the school didn't give homework, uh, so I, I never did homework. I never studied or anything like that, and, and didn't didn't get good grades. But I had a propensity to like uh, for mathematics, mm-hmm. and, and just it was just natural, born born with it. And um, uh, I was super intrigued by the the stock market at a really young age, starting to track stocks 
you know, 10 years old in a mm-hmm. little, little book, you know, I would say that's a, prices. that's a really <laughs> early age. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was just, just, you know, tracking stock prices, like mm-hmm. every, every week, open up the newspaper, find Kellogg stock, things I knew, put the price down, learn what, you know, it meant when it said last and open price and closed price and things like that. And then, yeah, and I think in seventh grade started getting interested in stock options and started reading books on derivatives. And I, Literally would would dive into any book on on derivatives I could find, and, mm. and basically, yeah, like seventh, eighth, ninth grade, um, and that became sort of a just a a passion that I that I followed, and eventually went into that. Were you alone in that, in terms of like having that type of passion, or did you have any other? Um, you know, friends of yours that kind of were like, yeah, I get this, or were the majority of your friends kind of like that? Just do your thing. Yeah, it wasn't until college. Mm. Certainly in college, found found friends that had a passion for it, but no, not through high school. I got you. Yeah. All right. Uh, you know, me personally, I grew up a sports car collector, and I read that there's so many amazing things you'll find on somebody's Wikipedia page, right? <laughs> and I read that in in high school, you started a card company called Mint. Yep. Do you collect cards? Because the hobby is starting to roar right back again. Okay, so yeah, I, w- I mean, was a huge collector growing up. Started the mint. We used to uh, buy cases of cards direct from the uh, manufacturers like Tops and Donruss and Fleer, mm-hmm. and spent all summer putting them into full sets and sell them at trade shows and make ten bucks a set. Right? It was like, uh, so I but but collected cards. Had a huge collection. Um, and then basically, I don't know, maybe a, a year before the the new boom in card collecting, mm-hmm. sold the entire collection. Oh wow! Wow! <laughs> <So> basically, <laughs> basically had it for you know almost forty years, and then uh, I guess timing's everything. <laughs> it is. Well, you know, it's interesting because so I was one of those kids that I would get a little bit of money or stipend from cutting grass or whatever. And I come to downtown Minneapolis. We used to have this chain called Shinders. And you go there as, you know, magazine store, bookstore, but also, you know, just big on like the collectibles, right? And so I really got into it. And then I started to kind of fall out, me personally, in college, because I felt like I was getting priced out. Yeah. You know, when we had the refractors and it started getting kind of crazy that way, it became less of a thing for the kids and yep. more of, of a, a hobby for adults. I agree. Same thing happened with me. It just it got too complex. It was there were so many different versions of a rookie card. I remember and loved the the good old days when there was like one rookie card. You mm-hmm. had a, a 1975 George Brett rookie. That was, you know, his card, right? Or Robin Yount and and uh all these guys, and then and then um, yeah, then it started to be where there'd be dozens, if not you know a hundred different rookie cards of, of a player, and it got very confusing, and it got very expensive. Yeah, and just wasn't wasn't the same. Yeah, so, I got priced out. Yeah, I, got, I got priced out too. <laughs> but I, I loved it. I'm sure. Do you have any favorite cards? Like everyone has. Well, I have the – I don't have the rookie card, but I have the second-year card of the Michael Jordan, the Fleer card. Mm. So I have that. That's one of my favorite ones. Um, I do got some early Kobe Bryant cards and stuff like that. But I still have some cards, but um, I, I just – Baseball? Any baseball? Um, yeah, I got some baseball, some Kirby Puckies. I mean, I'm, you know, a Twins fan, a Minnesotan. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Well, I do got – I think I have – 
Um, a Ken Griffey, a couple of Ken Griffey uh, Jr. rookie cards. Uh, I think that I do have an Alex Rodriguez <laughs> rookie card. So <laughs> I got some cards, a few. Okay, excellent. <laughs> yeah, but basketball was always my jam. We're talking to Minnesota Timberwolves owner Mark Lurie here on the Life in the Pack podcast. Uh, I am your host, Henry Lake. Uh, it sounds like you've always been good with numbers, as you just mentioned. You attended and graduated from Bucknell University in 1993. You were part of the track and field team, correct? That's correct, yeah. All right, clearly you had this spirit of being an entrepreneur but at what age did being an entrepreneur really take off for you so yeah like uh, like many kids but i was maybe extreme was you know involved in every little entrepreneurial venture you could think of as a kid from newspapers to recycling to lawn mowing to car washing to like you know set all these (laughs) baseball cards and uh but when i i um went to college uh, and graduated, there really wasn't this opportunity to go work for a startup. Mm. I didn't have any money to do my own startup, and it wasn't just a thing. You didn't go work for a startup. I went to work for a bank because I had been involved in stocks and, and knew knew that area and liked it. Um, but after about, I don't know, seven years in banking, <clears throat> I uh, saw what was happening in the, in, in the stock market with the sort of whole internet boom. You know, this is right up until about to 2000 when it, when it burst, but leading up into that. Mm-hmm. And saw these startups being uh, started and just, I don't know, felt like it, that it was the right time. It was like my calling to be an entrepreneur. And I knew I couldn't be in banking anymore. I was making a lot of money. <clears throat> I just had a baby at the time. And so it wasn't the ideal conditions, um, but I just had to do it. And so one day I just walked in my boss's office and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit and become an entrepreneur. You know, no idea. Yeah. Um, no capital, but I just knew I had to do it. It was just, it just felt right and struggled definitely in the beginning. But then, uh, that was in, that was in 2000, but the last 20 years has been, it's been a, been a great ride and learned a ton and yeah. have done a lot of startups over that time. Well, you know, I was going to ask about that. I, I want to follow up there because, you know, we hear so much about the successes, right? Like, cause everybody that's extremely successful, they've had some obstacles, they've had some failures. Uh, I guess, what would, would you say was the, the biggest obstacle or failure in whatever endeavor that you learned from the most? Yeah, I mean, like, there were, there were failures along the way in every startup. Every startup, you know, got down to, you know, a few weeks cash left in the bank sort of thing. So even mm-hmm. the ones that worked really well, there's always that, that point in time where you're, you're thinking whether or not it's going to make it, you know, and... Um, I often talked about this, what I call sixth gear. It's sort of like making failure not an option, like where you're willing to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. work-wise to, to pull it out. And I think, you know, in, in every startup, it always comes down to that, it seems. Um, yeah. I haven't been a part of a startup to date necessarily where it just is great from the beginning and just gets better and better and better, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it, it just it typically doesn't work that way. It's yep. always very hard to raise money uh it's very hard to hire great people and you know startups by definition are going after uh segments of the market that have a low probability of success with big outcome and anytime you know you have a low probability of success you're going to be in for it yeah (laughs) you know i hear that i was a media press assistant for the 1996 olympic basketball competition uh, and I'm wondering, is it true that in 1996 you qualified for the U.S. national bobsled team, which would compete in the 98 Winter Olympics? 
That is true. Man. So yeah, the t- national team, yeah, that would have been the Olympic team yeah, two years later. Yeah, yeah, so tell me about that experience. That was great. So I, you know, I was a, a track athlete, Division One, uh, and sprinter. And maybe I don't know, two years at, you know, after I started working, I was down at the World Financial Center, and the Bob, US national bobsled team was, was visiting different cities, were there for a week, and allowed people to push the sled and be timed to try and raise awareness for bobsled. And they said the fastest time during the week, get invited to kind of see what's going on in Lake Placid, like just whatever. And so I, I one day after work, uh, I mean, sorry, after lunch, went down there and put some shoes on in my in my you know work outfit, <laughs> proceeded to push the sled and had a good time. And they seemed excited about it, and that was it. And then I got a call like a couple weeks later saying, hey, um, just want to inform you, in New York City, you pushed the sled. I said, yeah, uh, you had the fastest time of the week. Um, would you like to come to Lake Placid? And I said, well, what, wait, that's the <laughs> what, what does that mean? Well, you come up to Lake Placid and— We'll put you through a battery of tests, and if you pass the tests, we'll train you for a month, um, and you could, you know, potentially compete, you know, to to get a spot on the national wow. team. And I, so I got a you know, tentative time off work. I didn't know if I was going to pass the test, but I, I went up to Lake Placid, and it was all sprint and drill and jumping and strength and all kinds of tests and things. And you had a score of seven hundred, and I scored seven something. It was over it, and they said, "Hey." You passed this test. Um, welcome. You can stay here for a month and train with us, and you know, go to the go to the, the tr- trials. Now, mind you, this wasn't pushing this. I mean, uh, driving the sled. It was just pushing it. Mm-hmm. So it was just speed and strength. There wasn't a lot of technique, but uh, yeah, I spent a month in Lake Placid learning how to push the sled, and uh, and then there was the time trials, and you had to finish in the top thirteen to make the team, and uh, and I finished thirteenth. And it was kind of a shock. And I was—I remember being in a room, and they're like, okay, welcome to the U.S. National Bobsled Team. That's awesome, um, This was two years before the Olympics, and they were talking about traveling around the world and going here and there and everything. And I had a big decision to make. I was, you know, a couple years into my career, and, and things were going well. Did I want to take the next two years off? You know, I certainly wasn't going to be in the number one sled or anything like mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and I decided, no, I'm going to – I'm going to – it was a great experience. Loved it. Um, but – I'm going to stick to my job. Do something else, yeah. You've been an extremely successful businessman in your life. Why the NBA? What are the things that drew you to the league and the Timberwolves organization? Yeah, first of all, I mean, I, I just love what the league's doing in Adam Silver, and I think it's it's a progress, more progressive than other sports. It's global. Um, I love the, um, you know, how, how advanced, for, you know, think, in terms of thinking, in terms of diversity, in terms of, like, uh, addressing social issues like it's it, it seems much more advanced than some of the other leagues um and i think it's got a lot a lot of upside uh as a league itself um the game is super exciting it's fast paced uh a lot of action um i played every sport growing up except basketball which is just mm. really ironic i loved watching basketball mm-hmm. it's just one of those things your sport your team i'm sorry your, your school your friends you know, never really played basketball um, but uh, I loved watching it. I was a huge Knicks fan growing up. Um, they're still my second favorite team now. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but um, uh, I, you know, just two months ago, I just started picking up basketball. So I thought, you know, it'd be a really fun sport to learn how to play. I see you've been getting up shots. Yeah. yeah you've been posting I'm, the videos. <laughs> it's, it's tired. It's hard. I've I'm, I'm been doing it like five, five days a week for like <laughs> the last 
10 weeks and uh it's a tough sport it definitely mm -hmm. takes a toll on your body which is part of the reason to sort of learn and stuff and just to be able to connect more with the players and understand the game better on the ground and you know, know what it feels like to to be out there you know um but it's it's been fun how would you categorize the process of being an nba owner the process mm -hmm. um it was sort of, a, I mean, it wasn't as much of a process as you would think, like where typically you'd say, okay, what are all the, well, what sport do I want to be in? Okay, NBA, what team? Do you, like, that's sort of a, pro, it wasn't like that. It was sort of like, hey, um, Glenn Taylor, um, would you be open to talking to him? <laughs> mm -hmm. That's how it started. And Alex and I like, sure, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to him. And then we sort of just fell in love with the team and Glenn and Becky and, just everything within a very short period of time. Yeah. And uh, next thing, next thing you know, days later, like we had sort of committed to to doing a deal. So it happened really fast. It wasn't much of a process. It was more, you know, emotional and more missionary. It wasn't, you know, we're not buying the team sort of as an investment to make money. I mean, mm -hmm. that's great if it if it grows in value, and I'm sure it will. But it's more of a missionary type of opportunity. Like it's 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 a chance to uh, get involved in something bigger than yourself and to have fun. And you know, uh, in, in, you know, I think there's a good chance here we could uh, really impact the collective happiness of all the of all the stakeholders. You know, the yeah. fans, the players, people working at the organization, the community. Like I see a real opportunity to, to positively impact those groups yeah. and that's always fun that's the that which that's really drives me you know yeah the ability to i'm a pleaser by nature like i grew up that way it's mm -hmm. like i want to make people happy at the end of the day and uh, i see a real opportunity and alex does too we're very similar in that way yeah we're talking to new timberwolves owner mark Lowry here on the life in the pack podcast here um henry lake uh hosting here today for episode number three um speaking of a rod or alex rodriguez when and where did your friendship begin um it was over a year ago, like a year, a year and a half ago, I think. Mm -hmm. We were introduced by a mutual friend, and um, it was more just to get to know you. And we immediately connected, you know, and realized, you know, we both had two daughters. We grew up in, in a similar in a similar way from mm -hmm. humble beginnings and loved sports, loved business, entrepreneurship. We shared a common set of values. We were talking about transparency and, and being open. And just on the first conversation, it was pretty cool. And uh, and then he quickly opened up about he was far along in the process of buying the Mets and, you know, said if, if I was interested and I'm, you know, big baseball fan and, uh, you know, sort of joined him late in that process. And we got to know each other like because it was like thrown into it. You know, we were talking every day for months leading up to the, 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 the final deal announcement. And uh, we didn't get that. But, uh, you know, we started, you know, building businesses together, being friends, doing things, hanging out. And we, um, uh, you know, said that it was probably a reason why the Mets didn't work out. And we both felt confident there was there was something bigger, better for us. And uh, and then there here we are. And, yeah. and, and looking back, it's funny now, like this happens a lot to people. You know, you hear these stories, but it truly was like. A blessing that didn't work out mm -hmm. it's like this is so much be so much better of a fit um for 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 us and um we, we couldn't be happier yeah the fans in minnesota they've been starving to root for a contending team for many years um any pressure you feel of being one of the new guys with alex to to get that part done 
there's always that 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 sense of pressure that sort of that sort of drives you. It's healthy pressure, though. It's not you know it's it's it's, it's just fun to wanna want to make a difference and want to make a difference quickly. Um, we're going through and sort of applying the the same playbook we would in in startups. You know, it's called VCP, Vision Capital People, and it's putting in hundreds of hours with the collective team to clearly articulate what do we want to be in 10, 15, 20 years? Mm -hmm. How are we going to get there? What is the right organizational structure to support that? What are the key success metrics? Get that all down on paper. What kind of culture do we want to build? What's our mission? What are our values? How are we going to live these values like no other team in the league? Um, how do we uh, create the right incentive structure? Uh, and then building a, a sort of financial capital plan to support that. And, and kind of getting that all, and it's hundreds of hours of time, and typically takes six months to twelve, six to twelve months to do it right, and then once that's in place, start you know um, putting the the right people in the right spots, and you know hopefully it won't be uh, one of those sort of uh, revolving door type situations because mm -hmm. if you know who you are and you know the kind of people you're looking for and you've got the right structure and you bring the right people in, that they'll stay there for a long time, yeah. and and that's sort of the goal is to build a a long term. Um, you know, world-class, admired organization that continues to build and grow over time. And I have no doubt that um, if we put the time in, that it'll, it'll work out and everyone will be happy with the results. You got a ton of fans. You got a ton of fans, the Timberwolves fans all over. I mean, some celebrities. You met one last night in Craig Kilborn here at the game. Yeah. I mean, what was that like meeting him last night? Yeah, great. I've met him before. Uh -huh. um, um, I think it was at the Lakers game we'd re-chatted. But uh, – Oh, it's, no, it's great. He's a, he's a huge fan, and uh, it's great to, to get his support behind the team. And he had some words of advice, and I look forward to continuing to talk to him. All right, so I got to ask you about this. I came across this. So you beat NFL Hall of Famer Jerry Rice in a race once? What was that about? Uh, it was a 40-yard dash. Um, it was for charity. Uh, okay. It was uh, St. Jude. So, uh, um, About how many years ago? This was two years ago. Okay. Yeah, two years ago. Um, and yeah, I guess Rich Eisen. You know, he does this forty-yard dash. I met him. I love him. Yep. Yep. Yeah, for great, the combine. Yep. Great guy. Great guy. He's been doing this for St. Jude every year for I think maybe fifteen, twenty years, something like that. And uh, I got involved a few years ago, and went there with him and made a donation and, and raced the forty, and it was a lot of fun. And I told him, hey. You know, let's make this bigger. Let's you know bring in you know athletes and and other people and um, try to raise more money. And so that next year we brought in Jerry Rice to run the forty. And uh, and then last year we we had eight you know uh, NFL stars. Mm -hmm. You know we had Michael Vick there last year. We had uh, you know Terrell Davis and Chris Carter and Jerry Rice and Ray Lewis and um, Rod Woodson and these guys, and, and they all ran the 40. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, this year it's coming up again, and hopefully it'll be even bigger. We raised almost $2 million last year for St. Jude, and so it's a great cause, and uh, hopefully we'll continue to, to be able to build it out and get some more professional athletes involved in that. Nice. All right, I got two final questions for you. Uh, outside of business, what does Mark Lurie like to do? I, I mean, first of all, a lot of <laughs> – a lot of the, the stuff I do in business is just fun. That's mm -hmm. like part of my, my passion. Um, I would say I, but outside of like business stuff, you know, I'm building the city. That's that's super fun um, uh, project. That's multi decades. And what's the correct uh, pronunciation of the city? Uh, Tolosa. 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 Yeah. But I would say um, I love magic. So I sort of like like to perform magic. That's sort of fun. I love playing blackjack. Um, I do that. I, 
quite a bit. Um, love uh, horse racing and um, playing basketball now. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I'm really enjoying, like, I have, you know, a lesson again today. I hired a, a Phil Beckner, the uh, NBA player development coach, to train me, you know, because I'm gonna, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to go with the best. And uh, I really look forward to it every day. Like, if I don't have basketball practice, I'm kind of depressed. Like, that's how much I love it. Yeah. It's so fun. Uh, well, when when the racing season starts again here in the in the spring, when, when we get up to the you know the derby stuff, whatever, we'll, me and you will have to sit down and go over the PPs, the past performances, and take a look at some of the. <laughs> some of, I love. I'm I'm a big. I'm big in a horse race. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the last one, then we'll let you go. Uh, what kind of owner would you describe yourself as being? Because you seem like a pretty laid back guy. Yeah. What kind? I mean, um, you know, it, it's sort of a um, you know, it's about empowering people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really believe in sort of the the VCP model, um, spent a lot of time on the vision and, and strategy. But once that's set, um, it's, it's about culture and people. It's about building an organization that the very best people in the world want to come and work. They love being there. They're motivated to give the very best they've got. Like if, you, if you've got a clear vision and strategy and you've got a culture that brings in and motivates the very best people in the world, you can't lose. Like that's the mentality. And so – I'm more, uh, you know, the type of owner that's going to focus on on the the culture and uh, and sort of vision strategy and yeah. really focus spin all, and not micromanage. Really empower people. I'm very and Alex is too. We're very values oriented and and very focused on, um, you know, wanting people to have a great experience with the organization. Whether you're a fan, you know, part of the community, uh, an agent, uh, media uh, player person in the world you know like everyone should have a great experience everyone should feel good about it yeah you know and that's 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 a value-based organization well one of the funny things that i observed early like the first week of the season i want to say was i was sitting there in my seat on press row and you were in the aisle there and there was a gentleman a season ticket holder that walks up to you because you, you were standing and he kind of like tapped you on the shoulder and was like sir could you please sit down not knowing it was you yeah. and you were just like oh my, my bad I'm, I'm sorry i apologize whatever but that was kind of a funny moment everybody's looking around like Pro- you just told Mark Lurie to sit down. <laughs> but that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty laid back, and, and like I, I don't want to be treated differently, you know? Just, yep. you know, abide by the rules and don't want to do anything that, you know, wouldn't ask uh, a fan to do or you know, anyone, you know? It's just... So. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate having you, you on Life in the Pack. Thank you, Henry. It was great. Great Appreciate time. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t